what I wanted you to see and draw in on this chart of the camp of Israel as we go along. Each tribe had a banner that was like their flag. Judah's banner was Leo the lion. The 12 tribes each had one of the zodiac signs. You see how it goes way back. And what was Judah's sign? The lion, the, the tribe of Judah. And that was the, the one that Jesus would come through. We're going to see all of this as we go through numbers, but it's just very fascinating to think about. So I want you all to have one of these, the outline, introduction to the book of Leviticus. Dr. Ryrie is very good on it and um, many others. Let's turn to the book of Numbers. As you know, we finished Leviticus just before Christmas, before we did the Christmas story. And we saw there all the different laws and all the different things that the children of Israel were told by God to do. And in my Bible, I've written here that Genesis is the book of creation and Exodus is the book of redemption, getting them out of slavery in Egypt. Leviticus is the priestly worship and communion. So that's where we saw now they've come out of Egypt and God's given them all of the laws for them to worship him, just how they were to approach him in every way. So then Numbers is the walk and warfare in the wilderness. And do you see, Paul said, all things that are written in the Old Testament are for our examples. And so what is the example for us in this? We're kind of in a wilderness, not right now, aren't we? We're wilderness wandering. Usually when somebody's out of fellowship, I say they're out in the wilderness, but actually we're all in the wilderness in this world today, and we're just passing through. But there's walk and there's warfare, and we see all of that in the book of Numbers. Dr. Ryrie starts out, he said, appropriately, the Hebrew title of the book, and I read this someplace else, is not Numbers, it's from the first verse, and it means wilderness, the wilderness of, or in the wilderness of. So that's what this book of Numbers is about, in the wilderness. Since most of the book records the history of the Israelites and their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the Septuagint and the Greek translation of the Old Testament entitles the book Arithmoi, Numbers. That's where we get the word arithmetic, isn't it? because there's all these various numbers and you know you might think it's very boring to read all these names and how many in each tribe and all but it tells you something about God and you that he keeps track of every little thing in our lives he knows every little thing and so this account in here covers a period between Israel's departure from Egypt and her arrival in Canaan exactly one year after they fled from Egypt, the Israelites were gathered at Mount Sinai to receive instructions concerning the law and the tabernacle as recorded in the book of Leviticus. Numbers continues the historical narrative one month after the close of the last chapter of Exodus. The book covers the winding 39 years journey from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Why 39 years? When we read in Deuteronomy, when we get there, that it's really just an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. Why did it take them 39 years? That's what we'll see in the book of Numbers. Um, through various places in the wilderness they went, and finally to the plains of Moab across the Jordan River from Jericho. And if you've been, been over there, you know that Jerusalem's here, Jericho's down there to the east, and on further east across the Jordan is Moab. 
So that's where they came up on the east side of the Promised Land and then went across the Jordan. We're going to see that as we move through here. Dr. Ryrie says, The principal lesson of Numbers is that God's people must walk by faith, trusting His promises if they're to move forward. See, one thing to be saved, another thing to be able to be in warfare or do anything for the Lord or account for him. Salvation is free, simple, and, you know, they're all classes of Christians. They're baby Christians, they're junior high Christians, they're Ph.D. Christians, all different ones, and God keeps track of all of this, but he wants us to produce, bear much fruit for me. We read in the Bible, I want you to bear fruit for me, and so that's what this is, is walking and bearing fruit for the Lord. So we'll just start here and read a little bit, and then I'm going to, as I get along here, I want you to see this chart of how they were kept. You know, as Dr. McIntosh says, it must have been a formidable sight to all the Canaanitish peoples, all the heathen peoples all around, to see this huge three million people, not just a ragtag bunch of people, but orderly, and everything in every tribe and place, everyone knew just exactly where they were to be, and it was all around the Tabernacle of Witness. And so we see here in this view from Mount, the Mount of the Camp of Israel. This is what people saw. And, you know, there was always the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You can imagine, as they move into the land, people were scared to death of them. And they were the fear of, of these Jewish people. And they could have easily taken it, but the majority, as we're going to see about the spies going in, checking it out, and they're saying, oh, we saw giants there. Well, we saw what David did to a giant, didn't we? Giants are nothing for the Lord, but the majority said, oh, we can't take it, and so they stayed there for 39 years. It's terrible to think of. Uh, Dr. McIntosh says it's a walk and warfare of the wilderness, um, and we see these numbers are given about the census of the people, and there are 12 tribes, but one of the tribes isn't counted because they are the Levites. They are separate. They're not counted for warriors. They are to be camped right around, if you picture the tabernacle, right around the tabernacle, the Levitical priest. And right at the door of the tabernacle are the priests Moses and Aaron, just Moses and Aaron's family. The other priests were the workers, and Moses and Aaron were like the king that they ruled everything. This was the entrance into worshiping the Lord. And so the way the camp is arranged is everything is around the tabernacle, everything centered around God. So God was in their midst, and it's a wonderful thing to think of. So we start out, but before we do, let's ask God to bless us. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful little book of numbers that may seem to be uh, kind of boring as we go through uh, each tribe and how many people were numbered and they knew their background and they knew uh, who their father, the grandfather, they could trace their lineage back to Adam. And they had to know all of that. And so as we go through these things, may we just see the spiritual truths that you want us to see. Besides the fact that you are a God of arithmetic, arithmoi, of numbers, and that uh, everything is numbered, and you are the author of, of arithmetic and of everything <coughs> wonderful in our universe that is run by this, by minute mathematical means. Lord, we just wonder and marvel at your might and your power and all that you can do, and we thank you that you've given us this book.
that we can read all about what you think about things, so that <coughs> we can begin to think our thoughts after you and not just go off on our own tangent. So bless us as we look at this book today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, this is verse 1, in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting. So the Lord spoke to Moses as he was in this tabernacle right here before us, as he was inside the tabernacle on the first day of the second month in the second year. See how precise God is the first day of the second month? Somebody was trying to prove to me that Jesus was born in December instead. Of, and he said, well, in, in the sixth month, well, it doesn't say in her sixth month. See, God is very specific in the sixth month the angel Gabriel came to see Mary. But it was Elizabeth's sixth month. It wasn't Mary's. The angel was going to tell her that that month would be the beginning. So he was really born nine months later in June. And John the Baptist was born in December. But just her and thee, every jot and tittle is very important in God's word. So the Lord spoke to Moses the first day of the second month, the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel, by their families, by their father's houses. Now, later on, as we get further along about David, we know that David decided, and we read in Deuteronomy, that Satan got him to, to number the people, to take a census during his day, and that was not right. But he maybe got the idea, well, now, back here, Moses took a census of the people, Later on, several hundred years later, I'm going to take a census. And it wasn't God's will for him to do that. And thousands of Jewish people died as a result of David doing that census. And the plague came, and it was an awful thing. But anyway, that's probably, I just thought of this, that that's probably where David got the idea of doing a census from here. Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually. They didn't do the women, just male. From 20 years old, this census was only this time, to be 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So we see it's going to be a book of warfare, too. They're going to see a lot of blood and warfare. Able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. With you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. So as you take this census, you take the main prince from Judah, from Issachar, from each of the twelve tribes, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. These are the names. Now, they don't just go and say, now who are we going to choose? No, God says, these are the ones you're to have. He names them. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you from Reuben, that's from the tribe of Reuben, the firstborn, Elijah, the son of Shadur, from Simeon, that was another of the tribe. Shalumiel, the son of Zerid Shaddai, Jeris Shaddai. From Judah, Nation, the son of Amenadab. You know, they knew their, who their grandfathers and they could go back further and further. From Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim. Um, so Joseph is divided into two because... He gave Ephraim, it was first born in Manasseh, but God said Ephraim would be before Manasseh. But Joseph uh, has a first fruit, so he has a double portion. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama the son of Amihud, and from Manasseh, Gamaliel the son of Pedazur. From Benjamin, 
Abadan, the son of Gedeoni, from Dan, Ahazer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagil, the son of Okran, from Gad, Elisaph, the son of Duel. I don't, I'm probably not, <laughs> not pronouncing these right, but it's not as easy as you might think. From Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon, these were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions in Israel. Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation, get everybody, all the other people together, on the first day of the second month, and they recited these fellows had to recite their ancestry by families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above. All the warriors had to know exactly what tribe they're from, what their family name was. They had to recite their ancestry all the way back, each one individually. That's like when they memorize the scriptures. Each one has to give up and give a record of their memorization on a, in our church. So in John 5, 24, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You have to know. Do we know our genealogy? Do we know our census? Are we able to recite our ancestry? Well, in some one of the places I read, my earthly pedigree. This is their pedigree. But what is ours? And we read in Psalm 51, born in sin, shapen in iniquity. That's you and me. Every one of us that come out into this world, born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And that's our earthly pedigree. But our heavenly pedigree is 1 John 5. You know what that says? That's one that you really need to learn. 1 John 5. I'm going to turn back and you could turn to it if you want to. 1 John 5 said, um, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, you're born again, and everyone who loves him who begot him loves him who is begotten of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when they love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes? See, that's our heritage that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and our pedigree in him is Jesus Christ. So we read here, these things, do we, can we be sure? Now, they had to be sure who they were because how could they fight if they weren't sure that they were really Israelites? They had to be sure. Well, do we have to be sure that we're born again before we can be useful for the Lord? And a lot of Christians... They wonder, uh, they think they're going to maybe know they'll get to heaven when they die. They hope they'll get there. Now, that's Calvinism has that. They have to persevere to the end. Well, that is not very reassuring, is it? How could you go out to fight if you aren't sure yourself what you're fighting for? And so he said in verse 10, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. Now what's that? The Holy Spirit. He who does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. When God says when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. You're born again into God's family. Now if you doubt that, I don't know if I'm really born into his family. I, I don't feel born. I don't... See, that makes God a liar. That's what it says. It makes God a liar if you doubt what he says about you believing. And Satan will try to do this to you. Say, you aren't really, you look at you, the way you're acting. You can't really be a Christian. And Jesus will say, now we have an advocate with the Father. He'll say, leave her alone, leave him alone. 
They belong to me, and if they need discipline, I'll administer the discipline. Not you, Satan. So anyway, he says, this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life, and he who has the Son has life. And who does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, that's what John 3 says. You either are believer or a not believer. You're either in or out. You're either in Christ or outside of Christ. Paul says that in Ephesians. In Christ. And then you don't find that in Jehovah or any of that in the Old Testament. This is New Testament truth. That now that Jesus has come, died and paid for sin, and we believe in him, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and we're in union with Jesus Christ. And you just believe. Even children can know. They need to memorize this verse when they accept Jesus as their Savior. Because these things, Paul said in verse 13, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know, not hope, I wonder if I will, I hope, I hope I'm really, no, that you may know, underline that, that you have eternal life. And they say, but what's eternal life? Eternal life. You see, not life until you sin again. You can't lose your salvation. All of the Methodists believe that you can lose your salvation. But God says that how can you lose what's eternal? Eternity. That's eternal. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope so, but know, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, this is about our prayer. We have to say, if it's your will, Lord, we don't want to ask for anything that's outside of his will. And if you do, he may give it to you, and it might be very unprofitable to you and to your life. And we've talked about that before, that God gives people answer to their prayer and then about maybe a son being healed and maybe later on the son ends up in prison or someplace disgracing the family. Anyway, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So we just know that when we pray to the Lord, and say, Lord, if this is your will, would you please do this? Now, we know it's always his will to save somebody. But say that anyway. If your will, we know it's your will. Because he said in John, I'm not willing that anyone perish. It's not his will that anyone goes to hell. It's his will that everyone goes to heaven. Why don't they go to heaven? Because they haven't believed in Jesus as their Savior and become in him. And so we see that we need to know and be sure of our pedigree. And Dr. McIntosh probably spends the first, um, I would say, 20 pages on this subject. And it's, it's really wonderful what he has to say. And so they had to recite their ancestry, that verse 18 of Numbers 1. They had to recite their ancestry by families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, each one individually. So that's why, you know, often they will they would take people in our army when we started out 20 years old and above. It was how you decide who can go to war. If you're 18, you're too young. See, often they're sending our 18-year-olds, which isn't God's plan for warfare. He wants them to be 20 and above. And notice there were no women in the war. And I think it's wrong, according to God's word, for women to be in the ranks. They may be smarter than men, but they aren't stronger than men. Anyway, but this is God's way of men. And the Lord commanded Moses, 
So he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in that family, the family of Reuben had 46,500 warriors. From the children of Simeon, their genealogy, Simeon's family had 59,300 warriors. And from the children of Gad, verse 24, those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. So you can begin to see these numbers. Um, let's see who's the largest tribe. Well, so from the children of Judah, now look at this, by their genealogies, by their families. Now Jesus came from Judah. David came from Judah. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered in the tribe of Judah, were 74,600. That's more than any that we've seen so far, isn't it? So they had more warriors from Judah. And so from the children of Issachar, they had their father's house from 20 years old and above. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. That's going down not very large. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies, their families, they had 57,400. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,000. From the sons of Joseph. Now we're going to see Joseph was given the, the firstborn status, the favorite son status. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their numbers of their names, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500. We take their, his, their brother because Ephraim and Manasseh both are counted as one unit. From the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war were 32,200 from Manasseh. So that made 72,700. Now that's the next largest, because look at who's the largest. Judah, 74,000 there, but now these two tribes together. So you can see that Judah is very special, and why? We're going to see why as we go through the book of Numbers. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. From the children of Benjamin, their genealogy and all were 35,400. And it's interesting, in the book of Judges, we read that the Benjaminites were very fierce and cruel, and that they had, um, how many, did it say, how many warriors that could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and never miss? They were left-handed warriors, and they could, like David, sling a stone and never miss. Imagine that. They were just expert at that. From the children of Dan, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, were 62,700. Those who were numbered of Dan. And then from Asher, only 41,500. So that's a small tribe. Now from the children of Naphtali, their genealogies by their families were 53,000. 400. These were the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and above, all were able to go to war in Israel. All who were numbered were 603,550. So that's the number of the warriors that they had. That's quite an army, 603,550. 
Notice how precise, not just 500 and so forth, no, but 550. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. And I've just written here, if a Jew could be certain of his pedigree, why can't the Christian be sure of his? That's a question that you can be sure. Are you sure? You know if you died today, maybe you've gone out and robbed a bank, but you're a believer. But if you died today, where would you go? Right to heaven, because Jesus paid for all your sins. Now, you may have to get a few spanks from that, for that, but God will judge each one. So that's 1 John 5, that this is the record. All were numbered were 603,550, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. So the tribe of Levi, why Levi? But you shall appoint the Levites, what was their job to be? Over the tabernacle of testimony, over all its furnishings, over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. See, the camp had warriors and workers. Here's some workers. And then the rest are worshipers. There are three kinds of people in this camp. So you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle. They lived around the tabernacle, and they carried the tabernacle and all its furnishings. When the cloud was lifted up, they knew that they had to move to another campsite. And who did all the work of the tabernacle? The Levites. So take it down. When the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So as they were getting ready to move, as they left their place in their camp and decided they'd help the Levites, they'd be killed because they weren't Levitical priests. So the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp and everyone by his own dagle or standard, according to their armies. So these things, these little flags up here in this chart that I have shows the dagle or the standard. So where the camp was, they had a huge flag flying above it. I'm from Gad. I'm from Asher. See, so they knew exactly there were 108,100 people, and each of them knew because they knew exactly where they went in the camp. They knew exactly where they were to be. If the little child was out wandering around, he would look for his sign. I'm from the tribe of Gad. I'll see that flag flying. That's where I head into my own tent. So that's how they knew. Um, so the Levites, they camped around the tabernacle and th that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. Anybody who came in there would die, except the priests and Moses and Aaron. And so they weren't to go near it. It's different today, isn't it? They were to stay away. Now what do we read in Hebrews? Draw near because of Jesus. Now we can draw right near, right to the throne of God here where the ark is and the tabernacle itself is just like pictures God's throne. We can go right into the presence of God today because of Jesus, our high priest. So they pitched by their own flag or dagle or standard, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. But now... Why would God choose Levi? Look back here in um, Genesis 34. Simeon and Levi were cruel. They were very cruel people. 
remember in chapter 34 when Dinah, daughter of Leah, went out to see the people of the land, and Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, chapter 34 of Genesis, saw her, she must have been beautiful, lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, these are Canaanites, and they weren't to have anything to do with the Canaanites. Get me this young woman as a wife. But Dinah shouldn't have been out traipsing around all by herself either in a strange place among Canaanites that had no morals at all. So Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the son of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him, and the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. What did God say? You're not to marry the people of the land. They'll corrupt you. And so Hamor is saying, make marriages with us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, this son that wanted to marry Dinah, let me find favor in your eyes. Whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give it according to what you say to me. But give me this young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamer, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. They were very wily. <laughs> and if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you do not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying to all the fellows in their city of Shechem, These men are at peace with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, now listen how they're thinking, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them. So there's <laughs> intrigue on both sides, isn't there? And they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city, listen to Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, oxen, donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives they took captive. And they plundered even all that was in the houses. 
Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You've troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? And then the next thing we read about them is Genesis 49 with Jacob's dying blessing. Turn to chapter 49 of Genesis. Jacob called his sons together and said, uh, let me tell you what will happen to in the last days. So this is prophecy clear on even past our time. Reuben, you're my firstborn and so forth. My might and my beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. But you're unstable as water, Reuben. You shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And then Simeon and Levi are brothers. Now here we come to our Levi. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger for its fierce and their wrath for its cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So we find that what happened was that later on in Exodus 32, turn that, as we move through this wonderful book. Remember when Moses had been up in the mount for 40 days and the children of Israel said, well, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. Maybe some wild beast has gotten him. and We don't know where he is. Chapter 32, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Moses' brother, come, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Bring them to me. So the people broke off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool. He made a molded calf, which is what Apis the bull was. That's what they worshipped in Egypt, the molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel. And actually they got it from the gospel in the stars, corrupted from the bull, the wonderful picture of the bull calf of Adam that, anyways, and it became that the calf or this bull was deified man. So anyway, they made this molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now, the way these heathen feasts were, they drank and they became naked and were doing every foul thing that you could imagine. Tomorrow is a feast. Then they rose early and the next day offered burnt offering, brought peace offering, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It's a drunken sex orgy. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on down, for your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I've commanded them. They've made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And Moses, I'll make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord and said, 
Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? See, he's throwing it right back to God. Why are you mad at your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out so that he might harm them, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets of testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on one side and the other side they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was a writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, they shouted. He said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp, Joshua, Moses' helper, said. But he said, it is not the voice of those who shout in victory, nor it is the voice of those who cry out in defeat, but it's the voice of those who sing that I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand, broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you, Aaron, that you brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side. Now this is the crux of the whole thing. Who's on the Lord's side? Are you on the Lord's side? Am I? Whoever's on the Lord's side, let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. This cruel, awful person, descendants of Levi, they came. And he said, and thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man of you, you Levitical fellows, put on his sword on his side, go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout all the camp, go into every tent, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. So evidently they killed their own brothers. They killed anybody that was connected with this awful sin of worshiping this golden calf. God is very jealous. What's his first commandment? You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart and him only. God just can't stand idolatry. And that's what this was. So Moses said, you've sinned a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have sinned a great sin and have made them for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you've written. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf with Aaron. So anyway, then the next thing we read about them is in the, in the book of Numbers. So because they were faithful to the Lord, who is on the Lord's side, the Lord honored them by letting them be the priests the Levitical priests. So here we find that they were the ones that were all around the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now chapter 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, everyone of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard, the standard or dagle or flag, and shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces of Judah. And his sign, if you will write it on here, was Leo, Leo the lion. So they knew that, that instead of like the 12 stars or the whatever, it was a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we find that all the rest of the way through the Bible. The forces of Judah shall camp according to their armies, and Nashon, the son of Amminadab, shall be the leader of the children of Judah. So God dwelt in their midst and never left them, even in all their unbelief and ingratitude and rebellion. And see, that's a picture of us. We certainly fail the Lord every day, don't we? But he'll never leave us. His promise was, if you believe in my son, I've given you eternal life. Now I'm expecting you to sin less, but I know you're going to sin. You aren't sinless now, but I hope you'll sin less because you have the Holy Spirit within you and he will enable you to live the way I want you to live. <coughs> Let's see, nation. His army was numbered at 74,600. Uh, those in the camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. And his sign of the zodiac was cancer, which means redeemer or praise. And the army was numbered at 54,400 Issachar. Then shall come the tribe of Zebulun, and Eliab, the son of Helon, shall be the leader of the children of Zebulun. So next to that, put his sign or his flag was Virgo, the virgin. And we know from that that the virgin will bear a son. It's all picturing things that would happen to the children of Israel. They've been intimately connected with the zodiac from their very beginning. And all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Judah, 186,400. These shall break camp first. So when the cloud was lifted up, who would break camp first? Did they all decide, oh, the cloud's up, let's all take off. Wouldn't that have been one big mess as they were marching through the wilderness? No, who would break? They didn't leave it to just anybody. God said, the people of the children of Judah shall break camp first. Uh, verse 9. These shall break camp first. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces of Reuben. So this is the east side. So do you see Reuben here? South side is Reuben. According to their armies, and the leader of the children of Reuben shall be Eleazar, the son of Shedur. Now that sign was Aquarius, the sign of the zodiac, was on their flag, redeemed and given living water. And his army was numbered at 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. And the leader of the children of Simeon shall be Shalumiel, the son of Zerushaddai. And theirs is Pisces, the fish. Deliverance out of bondage is what that means, what that one taught. 
and his army was numbered at 59,300. Then shall come the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad shall be Elisaph, the son of Ruel. And his army was numbered at 45,650. And their flag was Ares, the lamb, sacrificed but reigning. That's what that teaches in the sky. All of this pointed to the Lord Jesus. You'd have thought when he came that the descendants of these people would have welcomed him. Some did, but most didn't. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Reuben, 1,450, they shall be the second to break camp. So first going out would be Judah. Then the next would be, so that would, after Judah left, then Google, then Reuben would go. And so we have Judah and Reuben on this side. And the next, then the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps. So as Gad, Ares, who were numbered, they shall be the second to break camp. And then God said, with these two, two tribes that are left, then... I want to be sure that the tabernacle is safely surrounded by my people. So the first two went out, then the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps as they camp. So shall they move out, everyone in his place, by their standard. On the west side shall be the standard of the forces of Ephraim, according to their armies. And the leader of the children shall be Elishama, the son of Amahud. His army was numbered at 40,500. And his sign was Taurus, the ruler or the judge, uh, that's Jesus. He's not only the Savior and the Lamb, but he's going to come as uh, the ruling king over the whole world. His army was numbered at 40,500. Next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, and the leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. So Ephraim and Manasseh with Taurus, with two horns of the bull, so two tribes, but see that they were counted as one because Taurus has two horns. <laughs> anyway, that's what they, they both had Taurus as their sign. His army was numbered at 32,000. Then shall come the tribe of Benjamin, and the leader of him, of Benjamin, shall be Abadan, the son of Gideoni. And his army was numbered at 35,400, and their sign was Gemini, that one who judges and suffers, Gemini, the twins, one who suffers and judges. All of this pictures Jesus, if you can see that. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Ephraim, 108,100, and they shall be the third to break camp. Then the standard of the forces with Dan shall be on the north side according to their armies, and the leader of the children of Dan shall be Ahazer, the son of Amishadai, and his army was numbered at 62,700, and his sign, or Dagel, was Scorpio, the biting heel of the victor Hercules, which represents Jesus in the star pictures. And Jacob, in his dying blessings, mentions this Dan. That 49th chapter, I ought to look at that again. 49, would you come back to Dan? Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels. See, so the same kind of thing Jacob said about this one. So anyway, Dan. And Dan seemed to be the first one to go into idolatry. He just never was what God expected. Those who camp next to Dan shall be the tribe of Asher, and the leader of the children of Asher shall be Pagiel, the son of Akron. His army was numbered at 41,000. So, and that sign is Sagittarius, which means the final triumph, that God will triumph in the end. Then shall come the tribe of Naphtali, and the leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Enon. His army was numbered at 53,400. 
and Capricornus was his sign, so you could write that on there, Capricornus, which means the slain and resurrected one, that's Jesus. All who were numbered with the forces of Dan were 57,600, and they shall break camp last. They shall break camp last with their standards. So who would break camp last? So as the tabernacle moved out, now then there's going to be explicit directions for just how the Levites took the camp down. Each one had a job to do because Aaron had three sons here. Um, he had more than three, but they two of them died because they offered strange fire. But uh, this is Kohath, Merari, and Gershon. And so each of these fellows with their families camped around the tabernacle and Moses and Aaron and their families at the door. And right in front of the door then was Judah's tribe and then Issachar behind them and Zebulun down here. And so do you see it's kind of ranged in the form of a cross. And really as, as you look at the tabernacle in the wilderness, that little one that I had that bring out, that how did you approach God in those days? Well, you came through the tribe of Judah and through this door, the one door, uh, to approach God. And uh, that's very interesting to see, isn't it? It says, these are the ones who were numbered uh, after Dan broke camp last, the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses, all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces were 603,550. Now, you know, they did this often, as we're going to read in Deuteronomy. They moved from here to here to here. And honestly, it's, it's a big job to move um, three million people. But God had it just down exactly who, who did what and where they went. And they knew exactly where to camp. Nothing was left to their own imagination. When the cloud settled down, that's where they would camp. But the Levites, verse 33, were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And their sign was Libra. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each one by his family, according to their father's houses, by their genealogy. So they all knew exactly where they belonged, and they, so they would camp exactly where God wanted them to be. Now we'll stop today, and next week we'll probably take the place of the Levites and go back again why the Levites and where, what they were to do and their job. And later on we're going to see the Levites are going to complain because this whole family, um, and each one, like Gershon, had nothing to do with the boards or pins. And Merari had nothing to do with the curtains or coverings. And Kohath was the one who would bear the tabernacle. So all of this uh, we're going to see next week. Then as you get a little further, he sanctifies the people. And then he, um, oh, they, about the Nazarite vow. You want to know what a Nazarite vow is? That's in chapter 6 we're going to see. Then the offering of the princes that would be for the building of the tabernacle. Then in chapter 10, they start out and then all these wonderful stories about the marching begin and then about how uh, Moses' brother and sister complain at him and then all these things that happen about Balaam and all these wonderful stories that we read in the book of Numbers. But we have to get to that after we go through all of these numberings of the people, the arithmetic of God. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.